Hello and welcome to Michael and Ivanka's Grand Podcast, a weekly study session where we are in season two doing things, but also we've decided to just start going over various little bits of literature together since it's quite hard to find time to uh, read them, do our homework. We do our homework with you listening. My name's Michael Forrest. And I'm Ivanka Magic. Um, and this week we're going to read, which I feel like I should have already read, I know about it, but like we're going to read that UN poverty report on Britain uh, entitled Statement on Visit to the United Kingdom by Professor Philip Alston, United Nations Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights from the 16th of November 2018. Can you send me a link, please? Oh, sorry. Can you slack me the link, please? All right. And listeners can find the link in the description along with all our other links. I always put them all in. Everything we talk about that can have a link to it gets a link. What, what, what do you know about this report? I know that it was incredibly damning, hmm. is the headline that I something like one in five kids living in extreme poverty or something. It might even be worst worst might even be worse than that uh, mm -hmm. but i know that it was very damning and in i i personally when it came out it made me think back to a conversation that i had with somebody at work where i was going i i was struggling to believe that people were living in such extreme poverty in this country mm. or such high numbers of people and I was like in fact I made a note to myself to email that person and say sorry uh, but I think it's part it's like climate change you know we don't want to believe that things are this bad for this many people yeah we're, we're in, we insulate ourselves from it and um, yeah I certainly poverty like in the UK and anywhere else has really sort of come to the came to the forefront of my consciousness after I did the Think Nation um, thing last year late last year but um, you know um, we've covered it when we talked about money like we're all 99% of us are much much closer to poverty than we will ever to yes. be to kind of comfort to yeah. a kind of permanent feeling of safety and that's a real problem because it kind of puts you into a panic mode it's like Rutger Bregman says poverty isn't a lack of character it's a lack of cash and um <laughs> but anyway um we're going to read through this see what comes out of it um I expect we won't get very far through it but just if the uh, silver gun hypothesis was anything to go by but um I guess we'll just uh yeah go back and forth through it see what see what it sparks see if we have any ideas as well How have you been, Ivanka? How's it going? I have, how's it going? Uh, this week has been a good week. Uh, the trains have been working, which is always improves the efficiency of my life. <laughs> I have delivered the final presentation on my big project that I've been working on, which would, went very well. Mm -hmm. and I felt very satisfied that I had done my homework and that was good. Mm. And then... What else has happened this week? There was something I for I noted mentally, but then forgot to write down. Mm. <laughs> the, uh, oh, we had the child's birthday party. That oh, was yes. Fun. 
Oh, but I told you about that, didn't I? Because we recorded, I don't know, anyway, the mm. child's birthday party was fun, but we recorded it on Monday night, so I, you already know about that. <laughs> uh, I've been having some interesting join-ins with people on the internet, I think at something like 30 days from Brexit. Oh, God. It's less than that, is that? Where yeah, things are looking quite... February yeah. for us today. So we're a month from... from uh, Brexit and things are looking as stable as ever. Like uh, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing the threat of like I, I feel like postponement is in some ways a worst case scenario. Like, can we not yeah. postpone it? Can we just do something because we can't be living in limb? Like, if they just keep postponing it now, it's going to be like it's worse than just kind of okay smash everything yeah. and then at least we can start dealing with it knowing what's going on like we've said like uncertainty is the worst yeah i yeah part of me agrees that postponing it would be just like a slow death mm. um but i think that in some ways though i mean it would allow time it does seem like there's more support for a second yeah. referendum but i am afraid of a second referendum no. i am there's no yeah no doubt about it that I am you know while it might summon more Remainers to actually get up and vote it will also summon Leavers uh, this well, is the here's, week here's, here's an on. experiment if, if, if Brexit is objectively a bad idea yeah the Remainers that the Leavers that will vote will be the ones that don't want to admit that they were wrong the first time round yeah but hopefully there won't be more leavers. Whereas we know for a fact that at least two years worth of young people are now able to vote. Yeah. And just and even two not- years worth of old people have died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is true. There was a day quite recently when it turned to... The country would have statistically turned remain just based on deaths and yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not that's not hyper, that's not hyperbole is it that's that's there's no, stats no, no, no. for that that show that yeah, younger yeah, people yeah. wanted to remain yeah. um but yeah like so so if yeah i mean i guess like a bit of postponement if we are actually going to change it it's going to have to happen but yeah this just don't turn this into a we're going to keep moving the goalpost indefinitely because that no one wins from that and it and it will and it should and I think this is a good it's good that we're discussing poverty today mm. because I think poverty is absolutely I mean it's not even a think I think uh, objectively you can conclude that people who are uh, disproportionately suffering the ill effects of living in Britain mm-hmm. are the people who voted leave yeah you know, yeah yeah the people who are fucked off and so. You know, we know that we need to improve. We need to have more people living a good life, a stable life, a comfortable life uh, in order for them to be a bit more open hearted. I mean, this is the same week that we've had wildfires in Sussex. So with our our sort of record breaking high temperatures, 20 degrees it was uh, in England day before yesterday, in Mm. Wales, I think. And uh, so Ashdown Forest, which is... Pooh Bear's stomping ground has, mm. uh, I think, the actual sort of part of the forest that sparked 
inspired the story has had 65 firemen fighting a fire a wild something that's classified as a wildfire in sussex i think is quite historically remarkable or climatologically remarkable and also uh, we've also had a gun club somewhere in the country i don't know exactly where was using a picture of shemima begum as for target practice oh lovely so um you know whatever you you know there's just so many so many degrees of wrong in that that it's almost not worth it's almost you know you could have a whole episode about how wrong that is uh so yes it's an interesting time (laughs) so good week to talk about poverty i think how about you michael how was your week i'm quite excited about a flash of inspiration i had this morning um which was around like so i read this i saw otto had linked to something like the there's this book uh have you seen that book um show your work share your work whatever it is and there's another one called no. steal like an artist no <laughs> so i was just having a look through i thought i'll have a look through that because the other one was quite good and um one of the i mean let's face it pretty obvious points that i'm not even convinced i'd internalize was that you should make things that you want to hear or see it's a musician make music that you would like to hear and i'm like yeah i mean that seems obvious <laughs> but i don't know if i'm in the habit of thinking like that it's it's either been like a technical like what i what's where are the gaps in my technical ability or what what do i think might work today or you know it's, there's been a bit too much of that and not enough okay what would i quite like to hear what would i want to listen to Cause, and and I, I got a bit stumped by that question and then i kind of came back to i, I enjoyed my infinite music machine so I, I like 2014 i released an app as an album which was basically a thousand loops that I'd recorded and then oh, an yes, algorithm. I remember. I remember playing with that. <laughs> and so there was an algorithm. So I just wrote the algorithm that then sort of like played through these different loops and sort of layered them up in different ways. And, um, you know, it's a certain style, but I'm, I'm, I was sort of like, I kind of like to do some more like that where the music isn't just sort of set in concrete. It's sort of, it keeps surprising you. and But sort of whilst bringing back elements that are recognisable, but sort of like composed in different ways. I was like, I think that's what I'd quite like to listen to. And then I kind of got into this, okay, but I need to figure out Android support. So if you don't know, to make apps, you have to write code for either iPhones, like iOS devices or Android devices. Generally, that's the case. Particularly if you want to do like audio stuff, which is one of the, some of the more difficult, like it's 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 more difficult for phones to do because they're not that powerful. So audio stuff tends to be a bit, you know, it's never been good on Android. Like they've never had a great ecosystem of music apps, for example. So my infinite music machine I built using a, pre, a good framework that is available on iOS, but there's nothing really like that or like i'd have to learn a separate one to support android and i was but there are also ways now better ways now of making things that work on different platforms i when i wanted to explain this idea i forgot that i would probably have to also explain <laughs> about app development but i know the listener I, yeah my i'm just yeah but i was thinking about that and trying to think well maybe there's this api doing a bit of googling and then i thought no what i should do instead of making it on the phone just do like a live stream 
that is so I just put it in my I have some box in my house or somewhere that is just constantly broadcasting the infinite music machine and um, people can just tune in using like a radio app or just on Facebook or in different places as a live stream and then everyone hears the same thing which is kind of cool, but it's also evolving all the time. So it sort of ticks that like music should be a shared experience box that I really love. Um, but also then like takes away all those technical questions of how do I do support across devices? And I was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> and then with that, I can also kind of add a visual aspect to it as well. If I want, I can do like visuals. And there's another guy in the room with me that does that all day. So um, I thought, yeah, we can sort of set up the stream like that. And... Um, yeah, so that's 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 my next music project, I think, like the infinite radio station kind of thing. And then I can even connect it into chat so people could, you know, like affect it. They could sort of go, I want more of that sound or or even like put their own things in. And I've been talking to uh, Tim Exile has got this project that he's just launched. He's sort of doing a soft launch of at the moment. I think it's okay to talk about it called Endless with three S's, which is all about kind of jamming together, like making loops. And then they sort of, you can be in different places and you can all be building up these loops together and doing that kind of thing. And I think like it would hook into that really well as well. Like, like, so you could have like a radio station, which is sometimes the sort of, and I could do some different recordings, record loads more loops at different speeds, different things hone the algorithm knowing that it only has to run on one machine it doesn't have to run on like everyone's phone in every situation and i think that'd be kind of awesome if the success of a project could be judged by the enthusiasm of the person who had the idea i think you've got a winner (laughs) so i'm excited about that idea if i was a venture capitalist now i would give you some money I told you the other week about, or last week, or whatever it was, about the buy less badge, yeah. buy less stuff. Yeah. Um. I uh. I was I was sort of sitting on the train, sort of trying to map it out. Like, is there a way you could, you know, like magic eight ball type thing? Mm. You know, you're in a shop or you're thinking about buying something. You shake your phone. You know, do I need this? Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> always says no. <laughs> always says no. <laughs> you know. um, but I was thinking, like, what do you actually need to buy? Uh, anyway, the idea that way, you know, I was just fiddling on a train. I wasn't really getting anywhere, mm. but I was trying to think about it without making it too preachy. Mm. So, you know, how do you kind of encourage people to, how do you use, and somebody post, I, I shared a tweet I, uh, last night about this, which is somebody saying like, there's, if all of us, you know, the marketing people, the advertising people, the, you know, the user researchers, the programmers, if all of us club together to change people's behavior we can change people's behavior Mm. you know we do it all the time Mm. we get people to buy shit so we need to do the same thing in reverse you should i should hook you up with that guy that was uh, bullying people outside selfridges (laughs) what have you bought there like he's got i've got his youtube (laughs) channel written down somewhere (laughs) literally is that what he was doing um selfridges guy is called social experimentalist on youtube i still haven't looked at it but he was quite good he was quite funny he didn't seem like a total nutcase but he was just shaming people in front of He goes, he goes, the state of people coming out of Selfridges look confused, not well, 
poorer. <laughs> well, yeah. Above my Selfridges guy um, thing that I found in my notes, I'd made this other note about like um, when someone's ideas are challenged, and you know the the, the remain the leave voter like on you know James O'Brien kind of like just defending yeah, yeah. the thing, and it's like, and then also seeing the people reacting to this guy yelling to, like telling them off for shopping in Selfridges, and I had this thought which is we don't adjust in the moment we go away and reconfigure our suit of armor yes right we get all this stuff but we don't change the armor in the moment because no, no, no. then because i guess to change it you got to take it off and then you're completely vulnerable we have the suit and then we go away and then we kind of like do a bit of tailoring on it and think about it and maybe take it off try another one but we don't do it at the moment that we're in the conflict so yeah. I, I think you're i mean this Saturday, there was a vegan fair near where I live. And as I walked in, I thought I was sort of paying, contributing to some running fee or ticket or whatever, but it wasn't. It was like a, it was that the, the, I was greeted by a vegan campaigner, activist mm. person, whose starting point for conversation or the organisation that he's part of do what they call witnessing animals so they will go and stop a lorry on the way into an abattoir and essentially look at the animals and say we see you you have existed you mm. have they they acknowledge their presence and i fact the way he described it i did find it i find it very moving i mean as anybody you know it's why it's wild, widely known that i care about the environment and therefore i've always I've always been uh, conscious of eating meat, but I do still eat meat. And I, I've had this, uh, and I said to him, he was talking to me, I said, look, I'm, I'm not where you are yet. I'm on a journey. One day I'll, you know, might end up where you are, but at the moment I'm still on, on my journey. Mm. And uh, so we ha ended up having this conversation and he, he complimented me on my humility, which mm. was an interesting choice of words and he was very nice but he was but he also judged me he used words like when you have been doing something that is wrong mm. for your entire life and he, he and luckily I think one thing this podcast has taught both of us or helped us both learn is this ability to pause take a deep breath and and try and embrace listening and and talking about things that hurt that 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 mm stick you though michael and i you and i have not had a successful conversation about food ever no, it's because anyway, you've been doing it wrong so your whole life it's and true because i'm a wrong because you're not vegan i'm not a vegan it's true so anyway we've been Tell talking about we yeah i will let you continue that that fake meat science has come a long way even in the last two years you should try it try some of those anyway. little chipolatas sorry go <laughs> it's good corn sausages are actually really nice the corn chipolatas i mean they're really good. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> and I, no gristly bullshit. Listen, I'm vegan most days. All right, all but right. that's I'm the shittest all vegan. Right. <laughs> I'm right. not a vegan. But I'm <laughs> not a vegan food. Anyway, so um, so we're, me and this guy are having a conversation about it. And but what what reminded me about it was what you just said. Mm. There was no way I was going to walk away from that conversation. Not because I wasn't willing to, but. The, you know, I, I was having an open conversation. I was like, yeah, I understand mm. your point of view and what you've just said about witnessing the animals is very moving. Mm. But I also, if I get invited to someone's house for dinner, I'm not going to waste food. There's other there's other issues. And I also, I was talk talking to him about how emotional food is. Mm. It's yeah. so, and so complex, yeah. the psychology behind it. You know, I was a teenage girl who didn't eat a lot for 
sometime. <laughs> yeah, I uh, managed to get down to one tomato and a slice of bread as my daily food for some time. Um, so not eating and making choices about food to me is very complex. Being now a parent, there is nothing more pleasurable than watching your just watching your child eat something that's going to be really good for them and again but you can't make them Mm. you can't force them to eat healthy food you can it's just I was this is the kind of way I was talking to him and uh, but again even as somebody who was open to what he was preaching there was no way I was going to stand in front of him like, do you know what, mate, you're right. I From am now a vegan. From this moment forth, I am a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what, or the, at best, at best, all he can hope for is that he's planted more seeds in my head mm. that then will make my journey towards... And I even said to him, I said, I, I believe that in the next few years, sub 10 that eating meat certainly in western in sort of quote unquote developed countries will become as shameful as smoking or mm. it will be done because we'll have to we're going to have to adapt and so I was like I, I think that's a potential you know that's a potential outcome so given even that I know all of those things or that I think all of those things I'm not walking away from this chat going yeah right mate you're right when when are you next going to be protesting in front of an <laughs> abattoir so I can join you um uh, so yes, yes. Um, that was a very uh, yes. long answer to your standing out for outside of selfishes <laughs> shaming people. It's not gonna, it's not gonna create an immediate reaction. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully, I mean, even if he'd persuaded two of them in yeah. a day or one of them that over go home and go, do you know what? Do I really need to go? Is shopping in Selfridges actually a day out or is it a chore? <laughs> Let's read the statement on visit to the United Kingdom by Professor Philip Alston, United Nations Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights, London, 16 November 2018. Shall we? Let's. Do you want to do, take the intro? First oh, paragraph? Wow, it's a long first paragraph. Mm. OK, here we go. Introduction. The UK is the world's fifth largest economy. It contains many areas of immense wealth. Its capital is a leading centre of global finance. Its entrepreneurs are innovative and agile. And despite the current political turmoil, it has a system of government that rightly remains the envy of much of the world. Mm. Says so more about the world opening than us. Sentence. <laughs> I think it does. Well, this is what I had. I had this conversation at work yesterday. Somebody was like, have you heard this, the logic... Sorry, I'm digressing straight away. Well. The logic of the fact that the um, the referendum can't be nulled, declared null and void. So there were illegal activities that led to the result. Mm. The result cannot be declared null and void because the actual referendum was only ever, in legal terms, advisory. Right. So an advisory oh, thing cannot be declared null and void because no decision should have come uh. of it. So therefore, the fact that it was illegal uh, and then somebody... So we have no legislation for making, declaring an advisory referendum null and void. So we were talking about this at work and I was like, that's because this is the United Kingdom. We're not supposed to have illegal referendums. Oh, my God. For fuck's sake. This isn't the Balkans. Anyway... 
So we're still the envy of the world, lucky us. Um, it thus seems patently unjust and contrary to British values that so many people are living in poverty. This is obvious to anyone who opens their eyes to see the immense growth in food banks and the queues waiting outside them. The people sleeping rough in the street, the growth of homelessness, the sense of deep despair that leads even the government to appoint a minister for suicide prevention and civil society to report in depth on unheard of levels of loneliness and isolation. Whoa. I d well, I didn't know about that suicide prevention Me minister. Me neither. And also, it's interesting that it goes it goes straight to loneliness and isolation as well. Mm. But is that it is, is that, that a poverty? Is that connected to poverty? I guess we'll find out. But I've got this theory around pubs and alcohol, which is, on the one hand, yeah, alcohol's bad. So let's tax the hell out of it so that people think twice before you know drinking to excess. But now our public places have become too expensive to hang out. Like pubs were always like a centre of a community, and now they're sort of closing down because. It's so much more expensive to drink in the pub than it is at home. So it's sort of almost by trying to look after people's health, we've ended up isolating them. Because that's something I have learned from quitting drinking as well, is like without that sort of addiction pull, without that sort of thing, oh, I fancy a pint. It's just, who can be bothered to go to the pub? <laughs> like I've sort of <laughs> lost interest. And um, I think that's... Um, you know, it's not directly related to this, but that's that's one of my theories. Michael's theories. I mean, that there's that community pub in in uh, Bevendine in Brighton uh, that is, you know, there's it's owned by and run by the community and mm. these community spaces like this is his next sentence he says and local authorities especially in England which perform vital roles in providing a real social safety net have been gutted by a series of government policies libraries have closed mm. in record numbers community and youth centres have been shrunk and underfunded public spaces and buildings including parks and recreation centres have been sold off while the labour and housing markets provide the crucial backdrop, the focus of this report is on the contribution made by social security and related policies. I mean, if you're closing the library next to my mother's house. So Brighton, we are blessed with a mm. fantastic central library. Really, yeah. it's has apparently the children's centre, the children's part has one of the highest footfalls in the country, blah, blah, blah. It's brilliant. The library by my mum's house is barely like, you know, my mum was going with my daughter and you need some special card to access it and you can't. It's barely manned right. or womaned, <laughs> but it's locked most of the time. It's opening hours have been seriously restricted. And my mum lives in a, a very different part of town that has a mix, but it's much more suburb. It's out of the centre. So for her, it's a th she lives three miles, more or less, two and a half miles from the library. Mm. So it's a bus trip or a long walk. or, But, you know, if you've not got things in your actual community where you're living, you're not going to bump into people you know. You're not going to have casual chats. Uh, you know, there's nowhere safe to go and sit. The Brighton Library, people just sit, go and sit there. The downstairs is all noisy and vibrant and it's got a cafe and it's a great space to mm. go and meet people. There's, um, um, so, like, yeah. yeah, like, well, and speaking of youth centres, I'm actually, 
you know, I'm in a room above a youth centre now, and uh, this is this is the studio that I'm in. Um, so this is for the first time in podcast history. Other Michael has just come into the room, and I'm having to podcast whilst aware that someone can hear me. And the first thing I want to do is talk about something that he knows way more than me about. So <laughs> this is going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> hasn't reacted to that, so maybe he's not listening. Um, just, but the, you know, we're in he a little care. kind of we're in an area in Queens Park, and all around it is being regenerated. But I think it's all kind of like private investment. All the council houses are being pulled down, and I think it's going to be a lot of kind of I don't know what I don't know what the I don't know the details. Luxury of it, housing, kind of. You know, that's the, that's the, definitely that's the that seems to be the wave coming through this area, and um, you know, the building I'm in, like we, one of the things we want to do is like kind of protect it by kind of bringing in some money and kind of making sure that it doesn't just get knocked down I think and I think there's a risk of that and then like it's just another youth centre just lost to kind of privatisation yeah, yeah. and, and whatever this kind of wave of badness is so all I'm yeah. trying to say is I'm just trying to virtue signal that I'm uh, actually uh, trying to do something contributing yeah. <laughs> to my local oh, well, community. Yeah. I've been living contribute. very local recently. It's good. It's been... I uh, contribute to my local pub by going there once a week. What you say about the price of, of drinks is totally... Like, you know, we've got Brighton again. We've got... It is Brighton, so we've got mm. all these craft beers yeah. and microbreweries and all this stuff. But that means then that a pint can be like upwards of six pounds. I can't even understand it when I go to a bar now. I'm like, what? What is going on? How can you people like this is this like this is and it's so much money. This alcohol. But, yeah, it is. But equally, like there is a there is also a rise in non-alcoholic spirits type things. Oh yeah, because there's a. They still cost the same though. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it's, a, I mean, it's on the social thing. aspect, yeah. you know, really, if you're not drinking, there are some very good non-alcoholic beers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are some very good uh, spirits now they're starting to make. So this is quite nice cocktail bar in Brighton that we went to, we went out on a date last Friday and went mm. for a, ooh, went for a, we had a glass of Prosecco though, not a, but um, I was looking behind the bar and they had four or five quite fancy and probably enormously expensive but non-alcoholic spirits mm. that you could have yeah, a cocktail yeah. no, made I out. think there's definitely a trend going in that direction um, but, but which which I definitely appreciate when I am out because it used to just be much more of a nightmare to get anything that I wanted to drink in a pub um, however that financial thing is still you know it's like oh, I just don't really want to spend 20 quid for two hours <laughs> but then the irony of us reading a poverty report talking about cocktail well, well, I, I know, mean, I started you it. said it, not me. Um, but, you know, but I, but I also think that you can't solve... It's like on the loneliness thing. Mm. So, again, I do live in a part of town that is quite community-focused or at least likes to likes to try it, pretend that it is. And I'm part of a network of mums and we do hang, hand out, you know, bags of clothes to each other and mm. hand them... Mm -hmm. You know, like my my daughter is very particular about the clothes that she won't wear. Mm. <laughs> like she won't wear anything. It has to be tights or leggings. Anything that has a belt or buttons, she's like, get it off. It, she obviously, yeah. I don't think she likes the feeling restricted. But anyway, so so I get handed a big bag of clothes. Mm. We go through the bits that she likes, and then it goes on to the you know the neighbour four doors down. I mean, these are other ways of 
of sharing wealth. Well, Brighton is very much like it's it's the place where this sort of thing is is going to be happening. How well, like are you aware of many other places like Brighton? Like even it, I don't it, even but, like I guess yeah. Brixton Pound. Like, but you that... say you say this, mm. but the Brighton, this Brighton that I live in. So my sister lives in much more the centre. So you know, I, I referred to a conversation earlier where I discussed poverty, and I was like, no, it's not that bad. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my own sister spent a year volunteering in a food bank, so it's not like I'm not aware. I've generalised Brighton, that, have I? Yeah, Is but that, Brighton yeah. really has two layers. Yeah. It has a very, very impoverished layer, and then it has this like middle class bankers layer, <laughs> um, you know, down from London types. Yeah. Me, I fall in mm. that category. The you know of of people that can sit here talking about poverty and then talk about the you know glass of prosecco I had in a fancy cocktail bar. Mm. You know, I am not impoverished. Uh, in any way I may be walking around trying to walk around with my eyes open but you know it doesn't mean that um, I see everything or that I'm fully aware but if the things like there's all sorts of effects on society of like you know the rising house prices in central London has had this weird impact on adult social care because Mm. uh, the parents may be still living in a house they bought 40 50 years ago in central london Mm. but the children can't afford to live in central london so they've had to move out yeah so then instead of having your local network and this is i this speaks to the loneliness a bit i think is that you know we're we're not around for each other and you know maybe the pub is a frivolous example Mm. of a center of a of a community but having these spaces where you know you bump into each other in the park or you you know you yeah, just you being able just to live nod. near each other is just such a big thing like this i loved east london when i was living out there because i would just have those chance encounters that i've not had anywhere else in london and now it's not really like that it probably no. like unless you move to somewhere else and that's all become really expensive <laughs> the the hot the, the i've just read the what beginning do- of the so the results 14 million people, a fifth of the population, live in poverty. Four million of these are more than 50% below the poverty line and 1.5 million are destitute, unable to afford basic essentials. Fucking hell. So 1.5 million people are unable to afford basic essentials. I presume that means food, uh, hygiene, materials... Things like that. Is that the basic essentials? Okay, Fuck. well, let's, let's find out. Let's, let's define the poverty line. Okay. So the poverty line sets the poverty... Okay, the survey right. the poverty line at 60% of the median UK household income. The widely respected Institute for Fiscal Studies predicts a 7% rise in child poverty between 2015 and 2022. And various sources predict child poverty rates of as high as 40%. Mm. Now, I know from that research that I did at Wellcome Trust, because one of my participants was somebody who researches homelessness, child poverty is the biggest indicator for homelessness and rough sleeping later in life. Mm. So if we're going to have a 40% increase, up to 40% increase of child poverty, then we're looking like this is this is going to take, you can't just fix this in a year. Mm. They, these kids are already living in poverty. So we've, we're creating a problem for in 18, 15, 20 mm. years time. 
The um, just I just just my calculations, which are probably high because I looked for median salary, but I guess that implies employed people. But that came out like seven, sixteen, seventeen thousand pounds a year. Income, wow, that's which, I, yeah, it's not not a lot. But I suspect that if I don't know if that if the median line actually, yeah, I presume it covers all the unemployed people. So then I presume that would kind of be significantly yeah. lower than that. Um, so I can yeah, Good. just trying to live on, but even trying to live on sixteen thousand pounds a year, like yeah, with a, a family yeah. as well. Like I just don't even know. So then. Um, this is really last sentence listed for almost one in every two children to be poor in 21st century Britain is not just a disgrace but a social calamity and an economic disaster all rolled into one (sighs) there you go Britain Mm. how do we not and, and we're not how can we be so oblivious to it We we segregate ourselves off. We I mean it's not South Africa. It's not like we're living in gated communities with armed no. guards. But we don't like to you know, I, I, I now kind of on a daily basis do have to sort of walk through a council estate. Um and it's just that's kind of an unusual experience for me. Like I you tend to avoid kind of you sort of feel a bit like, Oh no, I'm in the I'm in the I'm in a dangerous area now. There's poor people. It's just, it's not on, it's right? Shocking. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but terrible. we're able to just kind of like not look away the whole time. And then next thing you know, you've got a Brexit on your hands because we're yeah, just, yeah. it's so easy to kind of, it's not just the Facebook bubble. It's, it's just. I think this is where I struggle a bit with my, with my vegan activist friend. Mm-hmm. In a way, I was like, when I was talking to him, I was like, you know, I get that you, you know, you're witnessing animals. Like who's witness? You know, like for me, I think I still do put the need to witness humans above, and I don't do enough of that. You know, I don't think we need to beat ourselves up too severely. No, no, you know, no, I've never we... voted for anything that would inflict this kind of life on people. Mm. Um, you know, I pay my taxes, all that business. I'm not offshoring myself. Yeah, I, I think there's a, the fact that we have to have this pointed out to us is sort of. Is a, I mean, it's yeah, a bit it's, of a it's, problem, right? It is a problem, yeah. I just the words, the choice of words, like mm. this is, you know, this is not, this is hard hitting. This is a smack in the face. Almost one in every two children will be poor in twenty first century Britain. One in every two. Half of the children, nearly, yeah, will be in poor. poverty. And this has been a slow, but like this has not happened overnight. We have gone down. Like I remember being told by a friend of mine who was teacher training in, uh, and she was in a primary school in Eng- in Brighton, uh, a not central one. And she said they have to spend, they had to have a breakfast club where they fed children because so many of the children were coming to work to school having not been fed. <laughs> And you're going to have behaviour problems. Like a child who's not eaten breakfast is not going to be able to concentrate. A child who is paranoid that they smell because their clothes haven't been able to be washed because, you know, their mother's making a choice between heating up their dinner or putting the washing machine on. You know, like there are... It's so... Being poor is so 
multi-level bad that yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, just like a it amplifies I, I, itself it's a positive it reinforces itself it amplifies the effects are just amplified the more you know we know yeah this. totally and i mean I, i'm going back to my um uh i think i mean both both you and i have had this as part of our childhood there has been strong you know big moments of not having yeah and not being the kid in school that's I you know I distinctly remember having one pair of jeans for the week and two shirts and one you know and that was because weirdly you didn't have a uniform and one thing that school uniforms protect you from is competition over clothes mm-hmm. because yeah. everyone's yeah. got to wear grey trousers and a white shirt and the end of yeah. and then um, you know and I think but so it's like being I was very conscious as a 13, 14 year old girl of the fact that I had, that we did not have money to buy me lots of clothes, which is, but I've talked about that when I talked yeah, about, yeah, my, talked o- about over shopping I... in my 20s. But you know, it's that kind of like, I'm t- I, I, think, I guess I feel very bad reading this. So I want to go, mm. it's not like I'm yeah. Ivanka Trump. my turn to do a paragraph okay go go but the full picture of low income well-being in the uk cannot be captured by statistics alone its manifestations are clear for all to see the country's most respected charitable groups its leading think tanks its parliamentary committees independent authorities like the national audit office and many others have all drawn attention to the dramatic decline in the fortunes of the least well-off in this country But through it all, one actor has stubbornly resisted seeing the situation for what it is. The government has remained determinedly in a state of denial. Even while devolved authorities in Scotland and Northern Ireland are frantically trying to devise ways to mitigate, or in other words counteract, at least the worst features of the government's benefits policy, ministers insisted that all is well and running according to plan. Some tweaks to basic policy have reluctantly been made, but there has been a determined resistance to change in response to the many problems which so many people at all levels have brought to my attention. So these, I mean, is it, yeah, head in the sand? I don't think it's head in the sand. I think it's a willful, willful contempt and a lack of understanding. I mean, I I did user research on universal credit in a very in 2013 and the minister that i was presenting results to at the time was nodding off and i you know i distinctly remember i was telling him about you know we were doing a presentation i was talking to him about an example in one of my user research interviews where a woman and she was not she was underemployed not on it because one so when the the universal credit has got two or three aspects to it that are very good Mm. don't get me wrong here like they do something about you know by putting all the uh, benefits into one benefit that may or may not be or the 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 best thing about it is that it's meant to adapt to your income dynamically so therefore if you're if you've managed to get a week or two's work in a in the old system coming on and off benefits was so arduous that it wasn't worth saying yes to 
a week's paid work because you might not then earn any money for a month while everyone fucked about working yeah. about working out that you were back on benefits. Mm. So well, the cleverest thing about it, in my opinion, and having done is the fact that it's supposed to adapt. So, uh, so for people who are underemployed, you know, maybe uh, a supply teacher, um, a uh, a hairdresser, or somebody mm. who yeah, you know, yeah. kind of, there's a kind of self-employment aspects of it where. Uh, this month I've done really well. I don't need any benefits. Thank you. But next month I need you to top me up. Great. Mm. Um, clever idea. Some of it is good. There are some aspects of it that are not good. Um, and I, but my involvement in the project is old now. So I don't know how much of those things have been adjusted. What I did learn from doing my user research with my participants is that for people who have been, and I, use the word quite advisedly burnt by the welfare system so for example mm. let's say they've been there's been a cock up with your housing benefit and suddenly your rent doesn't get paid for eight months and these are kind of cock ups happened or happen mm. and so then you've borrowed you've got into debt it finally gets sorted out your landlord evicted you you've lost your credit rating mm. you've lost your credibility with your family you are not going to want to change anything once you've got it back on the straight of narrow you are frozen you're mm. like, I don't trust anybody. I don't know. I don't trust the system to rescue me. I don't trust anything. And then right. you've got this. So that, that and that's and I understand that. Mm. And I, I there's a long way to go to make those people feel that they are safe. So going back to your American mm. guy saying, I want the freedom to make money. I think you know my interpretation of that is that i want to be safe i want to feel safe i want to yes. feel like i can tell my boss that no i can't do that overtime fuck you i'm going home i'm gonna go read a book or actually um, just in terms of what you're saying the way my the way we grew up my dad you know couldn't afford to work a little bit because yeah, yeah, it would yeah, just yeah. the the benefits would just yeah. be stopped so you know yeah, when you've got exactly. seven kids relying on you um you're yeah. not gonna take the risk and then you end so, up with all the knock-on effects of unemployment, which and is just awful. And all those kind of zero-hour contracts where I'm gonna, I've got a risk coming off my benefits because yeah. you may or may not give me some hours next week. You know, that's ridiculous. So, but but there was a there was one of the women I interviewed, and she was she felt in this category of what the working tax credits category, mm. which is that I I I, I work but I don't get paid enough. So the government has to top me up. Mm. Um, and which is a labor policy that has been eroded, uh, destroyed, I think. I think they've been completely abolished now. But anyway, so, so but the way her budgeting in her house worked was that she would do things like, they had Wi-Fi at home, but it was on a, dong, a 3G dongle that she would plug into her laptop because, um, but she had no, she only had texts on her phone, not calls on her mobile because if she paid to top up her 3G dongle, then she would get free text messages on her phone plus the data. And then that saved her the three pounds a week she needed to pay for her son to go to football club. Right. So we're talking, and all this thing about, oh, poor people just need to learn how to budget. These people can budget. These people know, or, you know, like I didn't encounter anybody who wasn't doing this kind of maths right. on a daily basis. Like, right, okay, yeah. if I buy that and that's my little up. And, the, you know, I was, I was talking to ministers who live off million pound a year trust funds. Right. They don't 
they've I mean, even if your salary is twenty thousand, fifty I want a million pound a year trust fund. Me too. But anyway, <laughs> even if, whatever your salary is yeah. monthly, whether it's a hundred pound well, okay, there is a difference, but it, yeah, yeah. at some point you you know that if you don't get paid, you, there's going to be no more money. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah, if you're living off a infinite pot of money that yeah. gets paid to you, and it just keeps coming, yeah, you've got no it. concept. Yeah. Of, I mean, what, what three pounds to you? I mean, what's three pounds to them? Nothing. I know. I know. And yeah. I, so I I don't think that this is a a ignoring or a dis- this is a willful attack. Yeah, but so so but. So, uh, yeah, it's an on attack. On the proletariat. Long live the revolution. <laughs> so strange because it, it, it's, I mean, what I took from that was just like if they just literally have no way of understanding it, that's a problem too. There's contempt. That is a problem, yeah. But there's just like complete, like we're, you know, but ruled it, by this it, this kind of elite class of people that don't need to work. That's, they're not going to understand our problems and that's no, terrible. No, so, but and it's that that leads to things like what Rutger Bergman said. You know the Margaret Thatcher quote of yeah. you know that that poverty is a what what was her personality quote? defect? She said personality defect. Poverty is a personality defect. And, uh, but what it is, and I, I I was I actually was talking about something similar with my with a friend on the train last night, and I was like I'm, I I hate to sound like my father sometimes, <laughs> but it's like if we weren't oppressed, uh, I do say we. Because yeah. if right. we weren't oppressed in this way, then we would ha- we we would have the time to be more powerful. <laughs> you exactly. know, like exactly. we would be exactly. able to club together exactly. and go. No, take this the is risk. Not okay. Roll the dice. Know that if this one doesn't work out, we can try again. Like this yeah. is just not a luxury that the ninety nine percent of us will ever have. No. And so it's that it's that thing of like even, you know, any form of activism, anything, anything you have, you know, like you either have to make a choice to say I'm going to live in extreme poverty in order to follow my beliefs mm. or you have to have the luxury of not needing to live in it. You know, like it's anyway. That's yes. My so. Bit. Right. Let's um, let's continue. Let's um, continue. The good news Oh, is yes. that many of the problems could readily be solved if the government were to acknowledge the problems and consider some of the recommendations below. In my travels across England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, I met with people living in poverty, whether old, young, disabled, in work or not. I talked with civil society, frontline workers, work coaches and officials from local, devolved and UK governments and visited community organisations, social housing, a job centre, a food bank, an advice centre, a library and a primary school. I also met a range of ministers in the central government and in Wales, as well as with the first minister in Scotland. I spoke at length with politicians from all the major political parties. In the past two weeks, I've talked with people who depend on food banks and charities for their next meal, who are sleeping on friends' couches because they're homeless and don't have a safe space for their children to sleep, who have sold sex for money or shelter, children who are growing up in poverty, unsure of their future, young people who feel gangs are their only way out of destitution, and people with disabilities who are told they need to go back to work or lose support against their doctor's orders. 
Um, I've also seen tremendous resilience, strength and generosity with neighbours supporting one another, councils seeking creative solutions and charities stepping in to fill holes in government services. I also heard stories of deeply compassionate work coaches and a regional job centre director who transformed the ethos in the relevant offices. Well, I think on the the, the job centre front as well, you know, a lot of people... One of the things that I've learned from working, doing projects for central government is that, and that's one of the reasons that we should have some faith that whatever happens with Brexit will be reasonably okay, Mm. is because we do have a civil service, the majority of which is staffed by people who take their job seriously you know understand that it's their job to keep the lights on as ministerial you know as government policy waves above their heads and goes up yeah. and down and left and right and da, da, da. they're like keeping and and i've met some job center staff because i also interviewed job center staff and you, you meet people who are ama- like there's some of the people that i interviewed i was like if i ever had a problem i would come to you because <laughs> you are just so wise and warm and mm. just you know know what you're doing there's some amazing people that work in and terribly underpaid terribly underpaid and (laughs) suffering it you know usually my involvement is something to do with it it's Mm. like and suffering it systems that should be you know burnt to the ground uh and it is suffering but they they you know like you've got people have to wait 20 minutes for their computers to start up in the morning when they're given like 10 minutes a session to talk to somebody who's suffering major life trauma Mm. because they haven't got you know so yes i'm sure there are some amazing people out there but 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 all of these things rely on people going out of their way and putting in more than their life's force you know it's still a job and it's not cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I'd add to that, like my experience of working in the housing department was sort of like there there are people there that are trying to get stuff going and like are thinking long term, are trying to make these the benefit systems work. And and this sort of like political stuff is just this like it's it's this frustrating kind of like oh there's a new policy you've got to change direction on something it's like what i'm trying to get something going here and all that politics was was just this disruptive ignorant sort of force above everything else that wasn't really contributing anything useful it was just like okay you, you know your constraints you can start to be creative within those to actually serve the people but then when the people keep changing the constraints in these stupid ways you end up just not being able to get anywhere and the people that lose are the people that rely on those benefits well it's what one of the reasons i get so ratty about people bitching about their recycling collections <laughs> like every the, because you know 90 percent of households of households but a huge number of voters in local politics have their bins collected but Mm. a very thank god a small fraction of them need social services of any kind Mm. and so you know when it comes to allocating budgets obviously there's the statutory minimum you can get away with and then there's like making people feel better about their recycling Mm. and it's like being collected like just fuck off make less rubbish and stop you know stop bitching about because every every complaint about a bin is a vote away from money being allocated to social care fact Mm. (laughs) i don't have a formula but there's that as well it's like come on people let these let you know 
let the if there is limited funds in your local authority let them spend it on what it needs to be spent on rather yeah. than what bugs you the most Shall we plough through? Do yeah. you want to take although the... Prof- OK. Although the provision of social security to those in need is a public service and a vital anchor to prevent people being pulled into poverty, the policies put in place since 2010 are usually discussed under the rubric of austerity. But this framing leads the inquiry in the wrong direction. In the area of poverty-related policy, the, uh, the evidence points to the conclusion that the driving force has not been economic, but rather a commitment to achieving radical social re-engineering. So someone's trying to re-engineer I, society. Mm, I used those exact words about oh God. universal credit. I was like, this is social engineering. And worse, it's Christian social re-engineering. Oh because because of the way they make people claim. Anyway, successive governments have brought revolutionary change in both the system for delivering minimum levels of fairness. Wow, it's these words. Successive governments have brought revolutionary, revolutionary change, change in both the system for delivering minimum levels of fairness and social justice to the British people and especially in the values underpinning it. Key elements of the post-war beverage social contract are being overturned. In the process, some good outcomes have certainly been achieved, but great misery has also been inflicted unnecessarily, especially on the working poor, on single mothers struggling against mighty odds, on people with disabilities who are already marginalised, and on millions of children who are being locked into a cycle of poverty from which most will have great difficulty escaping. Most of the political debate around social well-being in the UK has focused only on the goals sought to be achieved. These goals are in many respects admirable, even though some have been controversial. They include a commitment to place employment at the heart of anti-poverty policy, a quest for greater efficiency and cost savings, a determination to simplify an excessively complicated and unwieldy benefit system. I could have written this report. (laughs) A desire to increase the uptake of benefits by those entitled, removing the welfare cliff that deterred the beneficiaries from seeking work and a desire to provide more skills training. Okay, well, here's what's wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's in the next paragraph. But as we have started hearing from the people talking about universal basic income, we need to think beyond basic employment as being the goal a job at any cost as long as it's a job that's a success that's something that we need to get past because it's not fundamentally what's wrong about that this idea that you have some employment and we top up the difference is that it's the that is a way of the government my taxes supplementing private industry Mm who should not be allowed to make a profit that is subsidised by government because they're not paying people enough to live on. Right, I hadn't even connected that at all. So so because, so now these people can get away with paying nothing because they know that... They can have a zero-hour contract because if next week I don't give you any work because I don't want to commit to giving you a proper job, then the government's going to pick up the slack. Yeah. No, fuck you. <laughs> no. 
you know, that's what that's why, you know, all these people and I'm not a massive Corbyn fan by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's but he's at, but this idea that we need these left socialist policies is without for me beyond debate. Mm. We can't lift the bet, you know, we can't fix problems like climate change, like fix. We can't fix the problems in the world until everybody is off the poverty line. That's it. Like, you know, Rutger Bregman says, like, when you're poor, you your focus is narrowed and that like he talks about it in IQ points, your IQ drops. Yeah, yeah. Um for whatever we I, think I about the idea of an IQ. Yeah. I, yeah, are you did I tell you when I went to that global entrepreneurial whatever it was, the other and some guy was mm. talking to me and I said to him, actually poverty does have a <laughs> measurable impact and he was like, Oh, oh, oh I was like, Yeah now <laughs> now put that in your pipe and smoke it, you yeah. fucking venture capitalist. Anyway, yeah, sorry yeah. To you get people you. yeah. You get, you let people like just the solution to it is money. Is not yeah. Um, let's let's go. But universal credit and other far-reaching changes to the role of government in supporting people in distress are almost almost always sold as being part of an unavoidable program of fiscal austerity needed to save the country from bankruptcy. In fact, however, the reforms have almost certainly cost the country far more than their proponents will admit. The many billions advertisers having been extracted from the benefits system since 2010 have been offset by the additional resources required to fund emergency services by families and the community, by local government, by doctors and hospital accident emergency centres, and even by the ever-shrinking and underfunded police force. And that's, Rutger Bregman puts it again, the cost of poverty is high in healthcare, in policing, Mm. in all these other areas. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for people being poor. Yep. Um, Leaving the economics of change to one side, it's the underlying values and the ethos shaping the design and implementation of specific measures that have generated the greatest problems. So the values are the problem. The government has made no secret of its determination to change the value system to focus more on individual responsibility, to place major limits on government support and to pursue a single-minded and some claim simple-minded focus on getting people into employment at all costs. Many aspects of this programme are legitimate matters for political contestation, but it is the mentality that has informed many of the reforms that has brought the most misery and wrought the most harm to the fabric of British society. British compassion for those who are suffering has been replaced by a punitive, mean-spirited and often callous approach apparently designed to instil discipline where it's least useful to impose a rigid order on the lives of those least capable of coping with today's world and elevating the goal of enforcing blind compliance over a genuine concern to improve the well-being of those at the lowest levels of British society. Um, I provide various examples later in this statement. I think, well, the next paragraph is Brexit. I think, the listener, you can read that, but let's talk about the values, let's talk about this individualised society before we, uh, yeah, sort of like outro. Hmm? Mm, It's uh... your fault that 
automatic trucks have been invented. Yeah. That's what we're saying to people. It's your uh, inadequacy. Yeah. This is a meritocracy. If you're not doing well, it's your fault. It's your fault. And this yeah. is the fundamental, that sort of conservative value that is... Well, it's, it's yes, there's this... There's this a yeah. Wildfire. And, you know, it goes back to, like, the, the, that we were, I don't know if it was off or on podcast, we were talking about date, that David Lammy statement about, mm. you know, the mining and the industrial communities have been failed by education, it's not given them the skill. Like, it's just never ending. But if you're, if you're, if your family is poor, if your parents are struggling to work out how to feed you, then you're the chance of you going to school and walking away with a decent education are seriously impaired. Yeah. There's no like, and then your hope of getting out of that is just, it's just really low. You know, it's by chance, it's by some miracle, really. And they don't even know, like it's, it, it, it like there's research cannot show what how come some people make it and some people don't like it's impossible to it's so complex it might mm. be one conversation that you had one day with one person that just triggered your your child brain to go oh you know that that helped you it's like uh it's the contempt the those poor people they are wrongans they're just less they're than us they're so, dirty they're, they're just they're yeah, wrong they're just, they're, but no they're, they're just poor they just don't yeah. have as much money as you that's the only difference and you go back to that everyone getting the paid paid i can't find the that actual a news story about that factory where everyone got paid the same i've been looking for the reference but it's Which, kind of one of my you know the, oh, the, the meaning conference this, someone yeah, they, yeah. they paid everyone the same and it turned into a nice place for everyone it is a uh, sumer uh, cooperative I know who they are just because I buy loads of their, their um, yeah, here you go, Suma, uh, Suma.coop, C-O-O-P. How, what's the, how's that spelled? Uh, S-U-M-A. S-U-M-A. Suma. And they said, there aren't many workplaces where there are no bosses, where everybody gets equal pay and an equal say. Working at Suma is pretty unique. Here at Suma, we have two types of job short term and members but basically and even if you look read their meta description because zoom is busy it's hard work but you'll be well rewarded with pay at the same rates as everyone else plenty of options for paid overtime so aoc alex what's alexandra ocasio cortez she's doing that isn't she with her staff it's gonna pay yeah pretty much the same same yeah. sort of similar tiers like she's going to sacrifice the higher ones to pay the lower ones like a lot more well you know it's like i, I mean it's, it's i think it's emotion you know that's 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 hard for the top of the bottom yeah well, sorry you know it's well listen is it hard for the top because I don't know. they've got enough I money to live haven't they so it's not like it's oh you know i'm gonna have to it's that thing of there's this asymmetry between plus 50 grand and minus 50 grand <laughs> like which and i'm i'm just know? saying that like yeah. i i think if if you were on i don't know your cto or something and you're expecting mm. because you've earned you know you've you've got all the bits of paper and you've worked hard and you've got to, mm. i think psychologically to go from like 120 to 50 
you're going to be like, it's going to it's going to take a deep breath and some strength of character to go. Yeah, I'm OK with that. Yeah, yeah, but you get you get the pay cut and the story, right? You get to be part of something special. Like, and if you can, if that's yeah, you, yeah. then you get the story, and it's a great story, right? And that's a yeah, great yeah, thing a great to be story, able to yeah. say. Look, I I am doing this. What the, what are you doing? Like, I yeah, did yeah. this. Um, so yeah. I think, and I think in real terms, you know, you just look at it in terms of like the, an extra potato to someone with twenty potatoes doesn't mean much. An extra potato to someone with one potato is enormous yeah, yeah. and that is why we tax the rich more because it means less to them it has less value for them in terms of their lives so um, anyway what, yeah, what's anyway. fascinating about the Rutger Bergman guy as well mm. is that you know he talks about how uh, you know the taxation system the, this idea that the rich get taxed at the same level as everybody else is new mm. You know, in 40s, 50s, the America, yeah, yeah. there was a 90% tax rate. Yeah, and it was great. <laughs> and it, and every, it was brilliant. Everyone was like wearing really cool clothes. We're going to space, <laughs> world trade fairs, house of the future, all that stuff. Now it's like, oh, I've got this startup where you can find out where your, your dog is at any time. That's probably quite a good one. I just can't think of a bad startup idea. It's, um, yes. I. What about this as a... Um, if, uh, as a Patreon perk, Go we on. record reading out the whole document and you can hear it if you support us on Patreon. Mm. Just as like an audiobook type thing, and but it's us. It's one of I, I don't know if you like listening to me or Ivanka reading it out, but well, maybe we that's do, a we perk can do it for, for a, for a <laughs> we could have pounds. a competition. Ten dollars at ten. Well, ten dollars. It's, it's probably whoever's it got time. It's probably whoever's got time to read it out. But. Um, yeah, yeah. Or maybe like the $5 tier is me reading it out and the $10 tier is a banker reading it out. <laughs> or vice versa, you tell me. But anyway, uh, let, let us know if that's something you'd... Because there's another 20 pages of this and I kind of want to read it all now. Yeah, yeah, I, I do want, now. I want to know I'm what like, the rest what? of it says. It's like, I want to read all the bit about digital by default. And then I that'd scrolled be down and I was like... Hmm. That'd be oh. quite nice because then you can just like, if you just want to hear it, you don't want to hear all the interruptions, then that's quite a nice way to get that. So maybe that's we can true. do that as a thing if we do more of these documents. Let us know yeah. what you think, because I've been looking at what our Patreon benefits would be and I haven't been sure. This one, I think like we get something out of it because we actually kind of read through the thing, get some practice reading through things. I think that's it for this week because we're out of time. Yes, so we are. yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. We thank much you, appreciate it. Um, yes. If you like the podcast, go to grandpodcast.com. Um, always, please, please do have a look in the notes because we do link everything. Um, and where can people find you, Ivanka? People can find me at Ivanka on Twitter. They can, can find, they find me? you, Michael. <laughs> you can find me at michaelforestmusic.com. You can go and do some reviewing. Do some reviewing. Doing some reviewing, some rating, telling your friends, get more people to listen. Yes, please. Um, you know. And buy a mug. Yeah, buy a mug. Buy a mug. £75. <laughs> I might put one at £75. <laughs> to have one for five, uh, £8, I'd put it as. I hope that's okay. Let me know. But I think like, if you want to support the podcast, then it's a nice mug. It's a very nice mug. 
Um, I'll put the link in the description and I'll also try and get that somewhere prominent on the website as well. But I think it's nice. So you can do that. Merch! Uh, and um, yeah, thanks. Is that? And email us hello at grandpodcast.com. Find us Podcast yes, Grand on Twitter. Like you can find us on the channels. We're, we've got a YouTube thing, we've got all of it. Uh, but just grandpodcast.com. We but, are um, everywhere. We are everywhere. Omnipresent. Right. Um, so thanks for listening. And we'll yes. see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.